Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 409 for the 12th of TBS in a regular year. Today, we're going to start off our episode talking a little bit about the Hebrew language, or specifically one aspect of the Hebrew language and the meaning of a certain word. So like many other languages in Hebrew, a lot of words can have like a dual meaning to them. And we find this in Hebrew especially, that there's this idea of like the root word, and then that root word could uh, come into many different contexts. And we see that there's uh, a lot of relationships between different words that have a similar root to them. So for example, the word Torah in Hebrew comes from the root of lehorot, to teach, to guide. Right? The word toda in Hebrew, which means to think, comes from the root of lehodot, to acknowledge, or uh, hod is humility. So there's there's a relationship between a lot of different words. Uh, that That's one aspect of uh, relationship and words in Hebrew. There's another aspect where sometimes words can be seen in a kind of poetic sense and used in a kind of poetic sense. So an example that's going to come up in today's Tanya is the use of the word Ben, which usually means, which, you know, translates to mean son, whereas the plural banim means sons, or sometimes just more generically translated it to mean children. Or if we wanted to be more specific, we would say banim or banot, sons and daughters, but often banim is just used to kind of like mean children. But another way that this term can be used, whether we're talking about a ben, which is a son, or a bat, which is a daughter, is it can actually connote a certain type of ownership over a certain trait. An example that comes to mind for me is this idea of a bat Israel, a, a daughter of Israel. And when we say a bat Israel, like the, you know, the a term that's often used, I remember when my sister was going to Beis Yaakov, uh, this was a term that, that people would use. It was something to strive for is to become a bat Israel. And what does that mean to be a daughter of Israel? It means that you sort of like have gained ownership over like the title of Yisrael, like you sort of embody, your your being is that you embody uh, Yisrael, the, the idea of Yisrael. And then another idea is people say that somebody's a ben Torah, somebody is a son of Torah. But what this means is it doesn't really mean that they're like a son of, like that the their father is the Torah, even though that's kind of like maybe one way of understanding it. It's more that they sort of embody the Torah, like their whole, you know, it is sort of like that they use the Torah as like their guide, you know, and that's, that's sort of uh, an interesting imagery that that's used is that they're a Ben Torah or Basi Sral. So this term is going to come up today when we're talking about a certain category of people that we're going to call Bnei Aliyah, the, the sons or children, we can say of ascent like of heights, of rising, you know, there's a lifting of Aliyah. It's people move to Israel. They say they made Aliyah. They, they rose up, they ascended 
uh, to the land of Israel in a spiritual sense. So who are these Benalia? What is this, these children of ascent? And, and what does this mean exactly? So if you've been following along the podcast and you've listened to yesterday's podcast, and if you haven't yet, then please go back and listen to it so you have the full context here. We were talking about two different types of righteous people. And again, going back to the very beginning of the Tanya, in terms of righteous people in general, categories of people, we've discussed how the Gemara breaks down five general categories of Jews. And the Altar Rebbe has his own very specific definitions as to what these mean. In brief, just to give you that context once again, we have the category of a tzadi, which means a righteous person. And within that level, there are two subcategories, which are called a complete tzaddik and an incomplete tzaddik. So that's two. Then we have the category of the benoni, which is the intermediate person. And then we have the category of a rasha, a wicked person, which has two subcategories subcategories of its own, a complete rasha, complete wicked person, and an incomplete wicked person. So yesterday, we focused on this realm of the tzaddik and the two categories of the tzaddik, the complete tzaddik and the incomplete and what the difference is between the two. And we discussed how in the case of both tzaddikim, what they what they have in common, like why they're both called tzaddikim, is because they the evil within them doesn't have any hold over them at all. Not only in terms of thought, speech, and action, like in their behavior, which is the case for a benoni, because a benoni also never indulges their negative side, never indulges any kind of negative thought, speech, and action, but for a benity, the temptation is always there. So they're constantly doing this thing where they're constantly controlling themselves. So it's a constant battle. It's a constant war. Whereas when it comes to a tzaddik, regardless of the level of the tzaddik we're talking about, there's no more war. They, they've succeeded in overcoming the Yitzhahar. They've succeeded in battling and winning the war against the evil within them. So now what's the difference between these two categories is that in the category of the incomplete tzaddik, well, the incomplete tzaddik has won the war and has, you know, slashed the evil, like really subdued the evil within them. If you picture like a boxing match, it's like they've succeeded in like pushing the guy down, holding them. Now they they can't move. They're on the floor. Everybody declares a victory. Yay. You know, the, the, the Yitzhahara lost. The Yitzhahara won. The godly soul won. That's, that's an incomplete tzaddik. But... For the incomplete tzaddik, the evil is still there. It's just like very, very, very subdued. It's it's nullified to the good. So it has no hold over the person at all. The practically speaking it means that such a person is no longer tempted to do anything that's against the will of God. They really aren't tempted to do so. But what's the difference and why are they not a complete tzaddik? Because they don't hate evil, They ha- which means that they haven't actually transformed the evil within them into something good. The evil is still there. It's just very subdued versus in the case of a complete tzaddik, it's not just that the evil is subdued. In this case, it's like in the boxing match where actually the person has not only won over this this opponent, but they've actually taken this opponent and now the opponent is on their side and the opponent is now fighting for them and they're on their team. So I don't know if there's teams in boxing, but you get the idea. So uh, yeah, so that that's the basic difference that for a complete study, this is somebody who is not only just subdued and the evil within them and, and the evil within them is nullified to the bigger self, but it, they've actually transformed it. So today, the ultra is going to discuss this in like a worldly sense, like, okay, when we talk about these kind of people, when we talk about these tzaddikim, um, how, what are we talking about here? Like what percentage of the population, let's say, can we say are fit into, uh, of people fit into this category? We hear the term tzaddik um, thrown around a lot. 
people will say, mothers sometimes will say to their children, to their little boys, if the boy does like a, a mitzvah, they'll be like, oh, you're such a tzaddik, you know, or talking about some woman who's like a big, um, you know, does a lot of good in the community. They'll say she's such a tzaddikis, you know, but as you most probably understand by now, this is a very colloquial use of the term and it's not actually an accurate description of these terms. It reminds me a little bit of like when people use the term like OCD, you know, or like traumatized, like people use these words in like kind of like a, a colloquial sense, almost in a hyperbolic sense, like, you know, like I need my pens to be exactly this way because I'm so OCD or, uh, or she's such a, she's so OCD. It's, it's hard to like be around her. And it's like, she doesn't actually have OCD. You're not actually, do I mean, some people do, some people officially are diagnosed with OCD, you know, um, but a lot of times when people use that term, they're just using it this more colloquial sense. Also with trauma, people say like, oh, wow, I saw this movie and it, it, I was traumatized, you know, were you actually traumatized or was it just like a scary movie? You know, there's a difference between actual trauma and using that term in a colloquial sense. And so it's the same idea here that we say this word sadiq all the time, but who are the real tzaddikim? What is this really all about? So we've already learned who the real tzaddikim are. The real tzaddikim are not just people who do good things once in a while, but real tzaddikim, and they're not even people who do good things all the time. They're actually people who don't even have the temptation to do bad at all. And their only temptation, their only uh, want is to do good. Um, but again, the difference is that some tzaddikim don't hate evil. They just don't feel like doing evil. And for some tzaddikim, they actually do hate anything that opposes God. So the altar Rebbe begins today. And for context, we are still in the middle of chapter 10. We're going to conclude chapter 10 today of Likutei Amarim. The altar Rebbe begins with this lower category of the tzaddikim. And he says that this category of the tzaddikim, the incomplete tzaddik, the one who still has the evil within them, but yet it's, it's subdued and it's nullified within them. There's actually many, many layers of this um, in terms of how much evil, how much negativity still uh, is within them. And again, this negativity, this evil comes from one of the four negative elements, the four they're called in Hebrew, and how nullified it is. So for some individuals, for example, then the negativity within them might be nullified what to one in 60th so it's like you know that there, there's 60 times as much good within them to that one little piece of evil within them that they've that is nullified it doesn't have a hold over their life but it's still there or for some it could be one thousandth of them their being or it could be one in ten thousandths of their being so uh, for example so it's like there's many many different levels within this it's a, there's like a lot of subcategories into what kind of people could fit into this category of being an incomplete tzaddik and all the different generations. So throughout the generations, there are actually many people that fit into this category. The Gemara actually says that there are 18,000 tzaddikim that stand before God. Um, this is taken from the Gemara in Sukkah, page 45b, and Sanhedrin, page 97b. Um, however, when it comes to the complete tzaddik, this is the one again that transforms the evil within them. They have no evil within them whatsoever at all anymore because it's all been transformed. These are very, very few and far between. And the allusion, allusion to this, which the ultra chooses to bring, is once again from the Gemara in Masachat Sukkah, page 45b, where it's where we see that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, Ra'iti b'nei aliyah v'hem watim I have seen children of ascent, b'nei aliyah, and they are few and far between. Again, this word b'nei aliyah, we can, again, we can 
translate it to mean children of ascent. That's sort of like the literal translation of it. What it really means is people who have like acquired this uh, level of ascent, this, this, uh, this people of ascent, we can call them. Um, so um, why are they called Bnealia? Why are they called children of ascent? Because they transform the evil within them and they ascend it up to holiness. So if you recall, the whole idea of, uh, of the tzaddik is, and what they're able to do is that they're able to take the things in the world that are called klipas noga. And within the klipas noga, we have, they're the husks that have within them both good and bad, and they can be used in either way. They can be used for negativity and they can be used for positivity. And there's the, and, and what these complete sadikim do is they don't just subdue the negativity within these klipas, but they actually elevate these, the negativity and rise them up to holiness. As we see in the introduction to the Zohar that when Rabbi Chia wanted to ra- go up to the uh, to the chamber of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he heard a voice come out and say, "Only these people are allowed to enter. People who have come here and have convert- converted the darkness of the world to light and have transformed the bitter taste." To sweetness. So again, this is an allusion to this idea that this is what's considered to be somebody who is a complete tzaddik, um, because they are, and, and why they're called bnei aliyah, why they're called children, quote unquote, of ascent, is because that they actually take the negativity and they they elevate it into the good realm, into the positivity. Now the altar is going to bring a second reason for this term bnei aliyah, why they, we call them children of ascent, and he says that this is because. Even when they're involved in doing the positive aspects, the proactive aspects of keeping Torah Metzvah, the Asetov, as we call it in Hebrew, they're keeping the positive commandments. They're actually doing it with a higher intention, a higher purpose. It's not for selfish reasons, to, in order to um, quench the thirst of their soul in God, which sounds like a pretty high level, right? It's like your soul is thirsty for God, so you attach yourself to God, but it's still a selfish reason if you think about it. But the Ultra Bread, you know, wants to really give a little bit of. Um, of attention to this and he says that there is something to this that wh- why would we even say you know quenching their thirst in god is because there's this idea that anybody who feels thirsty quote unquote they should go to torah so this is taken from Yeshayahu chapter 55 verse 1 where it says Anybody who's thirsty, go to water. And what is water? Water is the water of the Torah. And the altar Rabbi says that this is explained elsewhere. But rather, somebody, um, but rather to contrast this, so even though, yes, that's, you know, that's a very uh, meaningful thing to do, that if you feel thirsty, if you feel like your soul is aching, your soul is, you know, parched, so to speak, then you go to Torah to quench the thirst of your soul. These tzaddikim, that's not their orientation when they're serving God, but rather, what are they doing? This is uh, the way that the Altarba explains this as he takes a citation from the Tikkun Zohar where it says, So what does this mean? This means who is a chassid? And a chassid can be translated to mean like a pious one or it can also mean somebody who's a giving person. Chassid is like giving, benevolence, is one who is benevolent with their maker. So meaning to say with their creator above. So meaning to say, what does this mean? This means that these tzaddikim, these these perfect, complete tzaddikim, their intention behind serving God is not for their own sustenance. It's not for their own spiritual um, goodness and spiritual um, thirst and um, and fulfillment, but it's actually for the sake of God. It's because they want to do good to God. They want to do a favor to God. 
And what is this good that they're doing to God? That they're actually uniting the Kudshabrechu, which is called the Holy One, Blessed Be He, with his Shechina down here, the, the divine presence down here. So this is a very lofty concept. We're going to talk about it more further in the Tanya, but just, you know, the basic idea is that there's this unification that happens uh, in a lofty sense, uh, which is kind of like God's ultimate purpose of what he wants to achieve. And so these tzaddikim, this is their orientation, is to achieve these unifications. And this is written about in the Ramahamna in Parshat Tzitzi, where it explains that what what uh, what the Ramahamna likens this to is is it's like a son who exerts himself for his parents um, more than he loves himself. So uh, more than he loves his own body. So it's like this is like a child who's a very devoted child who would give more to their parents than they would even give to themselves to the point that they would even sacrifice their own life in order to redeem their parents if their parents would, were to be hold, held in captivity. And uh, this is spoken about elsewhere in further detail. So that's the basic uh, imagery that we can use in terms of these ne aliyah, these complete tzaddikim, that they are so uh, that their service is a very lofty service because it's not about them. It's not about fulfilling their own spiritual needs, but it's about actually giving to God. So, so far, so just to take a pause here, we've learned two reasons why these complete Siddiquim are called Bnei Aliyah, children of ascent. One is because they ascend the negativity, they, they elevate the negativity within the world and they transform it into good. So there's an ascension that happens in that sense. And the second reason is because their whole spiritual service is actually a much more lofty type of spiritual service than a normal person, because it's not for their own selfish spiritual needs, but it's actually for the sake of God. Now, the altar of it concludes here, and he says that de these two reasons are actually very much related to one another, and they're actually both coming from the same place. Why? Because when these people uh, rectify the the negativity within Klipas Noga, uh, and they elevate the negativity into uh, into the higher realms, as we described, then what they're doing is they're, and one way to understand this Kabbalistically is they're elevating the feminine waters, the Main Nukvin, it's called in Kabbalah. And this causes there to be a supernal uh, unification above that causes the Main Dechulin, the masculine waters, to descend. Which is, what is the masculine waters? The masculine waters is the waters of kindness that is found in all the mitzvahs of the 248 positive commandments. Um, because all of the 248 positive commandments can be thought of as different, they're actually different aspects of chesed, aspect of um, of kindness, God's kindness, which is, a, a chesed is this flow. It's like a downward outpouring, so it's a masculine waters. So meaning to say, like, just to understand this, what this is, this is what they're doing is that they're drawing down the holiness of God from above to below to be enclosed in the lower realms, as is explained elsewhere. So that got a little abstract at the end, but just to kind of sum that up in simple terminology is basically what we've learned. We've learned two reasons why these tzaddikim are called Bnei The first is because they elevate the negativity that's found in Klipas Noga to, to holiness above. And the second is that their whole service is a much more lofty service, and it's about creating these supernal unifications, and it's not for their own selfish spiritual benefit. What the altar taught us at the end is that they're actually very much related, because when we say that these tzaddikim are taking 
the Klipas Noga and they're elevating it into into good goodness, into a higher place. What this is in Kabbalistic terminology is this this can be thought of as like feminine waters, which are more like from below. You know, it's like a below kind of receptive kind of water. So it's like they're elevating the feminine waters, kind of making a receptive vehicle for then the masculine waters to descend from above and cause this supernal unification, which is this more lofty level of service that we've discussed. So that's it for today. And we'll continue tomorrow when we begin chapter 11. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Spitzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.